Hi there, I'm Mabel Nainan, the host of Far From Home, a podcast that encourages biblical perspectives on immigration and inspires faith in action. To learn more about the podcast or me, go to MabelNainan.com. Sharon Edwards was born and raised in a Christian family in India. She emigrated to the U.S. as a newlywed, excited about starting a family with her husband in a new country. But within a few days of her arrival, she became a victim of domestic violence. And in spite of counseling and prayer, her situation did not improve. In this episode, Sharon recounts how God protected her and provided for her as she went through the ordeal of domestic violence and divorce. Her story highlights the important role churches and individual believers can play in the lives of immigrants who find themselves battling difficult situations. Sharon and I discuss the fallouts of incorrectly discerning God's will. God's grace can cover our mistakes. Good news for believers is that our failures or bad decisions cannot thwart God's purpose for our lives. Sharon is an award-winning author, editor and speaker, and links to get to know her and buy her books are on the webpage. But this is what I wanted to let you all know. The 10th anniversary edition of her book, Pioneer Boulevard, a collection of short stories based on various themes of immigration, launches on December 8th in just a few days. So I hope you check it out and buy a copy. Hi and welcome to Far From Home with me, Mabel Nainan, your host. Today, I will be talking to a fellow Indian-American author and also a fellow author from Advanced Writers and Speakers Association, of which I'm a part of, Sharon Arpana Edwards. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you, Mabel. Thank you so much for inviting me to Far From Home. So here's a little bit about Sharon. Born and raised in India, Sharon emigrated from Mumbai to Los Angeles in 1999. Sharon's first book, Pioneer Boulevard, a collection of stories set in LA's Indian community, was published in 2013. And the 10th anniversary edition is slated for release on December 8th, in just a few days. And we will be talking more about that in our conversation. Sharon has also authored an award-winning 100-day devotional titled The Blessings of Melchizedek and a book of poetry titled There Was Once a Man Who Suffered, the book of Job in Limericks. Sharon holds MAs in both English and creative writing. Her professional career includes serving as Director of Communications at Hope Chapel, Hermosa Beach, which is in Southern California, and as a proofreader at Warner Brothers in Burbank, California. She enjoys discussing the different ways God communicates with us, and she's always happy to tell others about Jesus. She's based in Southern California and can be reached at SharonArpana.com, and you'll find all the links to get to know her or to get in touch with her on the episode webpage. So welcome again, Sharon. And as I, you know, usually ask my immigrant guests, we start off with the same question every time, which is to share a cherished or a favorite childhood memory. Thank you, Mabel. Yes, when I heard that question, I um, the first 
memory that comes to mind is actually of a time I wrote a poem. It was not the first time, but I had already written a poem. And my grandmother, in whose house I had been born, had come to visit us in Pune. And she noticed that I enjoyed writing poetry. So she bought me one of those hardbound books. I don't know if you recall those hardcover books uh, in India. They were more expensive than the soft cover. Yeah. And so we had a deal. We cut a deal. She says, I'll buy you a hardcover book and you write two poems every Saturday. And it's very interesting because I have this memory of me sitting in an orange checked dress. My mother loved dressing me in orange. And I can see exactly where I'm sitting. And it is a Saturday morning with the sun streaming into my bedroom window. And I'm at my desk leaning forward with a pencil and writing this poem. And last year, when I began writing, uh, there once was a man who suffered, which is a translation of Job in limericks. This memory just rose uh, in my mind, it just came up so unexpectedly. Um, actually, I had started, I started by texting actually the verses to myself. And then the next day I said, you know what, I better put them in uh, a notebook. So I leaned forward and I had this image of me just uh, as a six-year-old writing, uh, not my first poem, but writing a poem in that hardcover book. And so it was, uh, it's a very special memory, but it's also a very healing memory because um, when I started writing, there once was a man who suffered. I was still grieving for my mother who had passed away uh, just eight months before. And so it brought a lot of healing. And when that memory rose to the surface, the Holy Spirit just uh, gave me this deep inner conviction and peace, which was just so strong and unmistakable that all my sufferings were unto something. Mm. Because, you know, I was about to write on the man who suffered, who was Job. So that is a memory I will always cherish. And thank you for letting me share it. Well, that's wonderful. You know how memory sometimes uh, comes come back to us at the right moment. And some of that timing is God ordained to help us in our present, um, maybe uh, present suffering or a current project that we are nervous about. God brings those memories back to just comfort us or strengthen us. That's right. <laughs> so and from the um, beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, were you born and raised in a Christian home, Sharon? Yes, I was. My father was uh, just a nominal Christian and my mother was uh, getting stronger in her faith. Um, so I was born and raised in a Methodist home and I myself received the Lord at the age of six as my personal savior. Around the same time when I was writing that poem that I just shared. Uh, my grandmother had come to visit us in Pune. We had just moved from Lucknow to Pune. And my grandmother had come to visit us. And um, she led me, you know, in the sinner's prayer. She shared a gos the gospel and asked if I wanted to give my heart to the Lord. And I immediately said yes. I still remember that feeling. All these years later, I still remember that feeling of, yes, I want to say yes. I knew what I was saying yes to. I mean, I didn't know how much of a sinner I was, but I knew I wanted to say yes to the Lord. So that started my journey. And around the same time, I also started my writing. 
Wow. That's, uh, you know, when you were so young, <laughs> that's incredible. Yes. Um, and um, so what brought you to the U.S.? Uh, I first came as an international student in September of 1994. I came to Kona, Hawaii, to attend uh, a communications course in at YWAM's University of the Nations. And I, I did an internship and stayed for about a year. And then I returned to India. And uh, four years later, uh, in March of 1999, I came to Los Angeles as a new bride. Somebody had met in YWAM and um, he was from Los Angeles. So that's how I came to LA. Okay. Um... Yeah. And, and, you know, that's something that I also thought that was common in our background, uh, apart from the fact that we both grew up Methodist, but there's some connection that you had to YWAM. Uh, and even growing up, you know, we visited YWAM so many times. My mo my mother also, again, like your mother, was uh, our spiritual matriarch, and she used to take us to YWAM all the time. And so um, going back to your story, you you met someone from YWAM and you moved to LA. And tell us about the first few weeks or months of being um, in a foreign country. I know you visited the US before, like you mentioned, uh, but what was it like um, knowing that you were going to set up a home now in a, a new place? Uh well, I'd never actually been to Los Angeles. And to be honest, when I was living in Hawaii, I was going to come to the mainland to spend the summer with, uh, you know, friends and relatives. And I had an opportunity to come through Los Angeles. And something in my spirit just said, no, I don't want to go through LAX. And so the Lord ended up providing a ticket to me uh, for me through um, Seattle. Uh, so I guess, I guess you could say it was a mistake or the Lord somehow, uh, you know, uh, helped me. Uh, how do I say it? Uh, helped me overcome that uh, initial apprehension about Los Angeles. But uh, from the get go, unfortunately, it was very difficult. Right at the airport, um, uh, I was grilled by three immigration officers and I had never expected it because I had gone to the U.S. Embassy in Mumbai and they told me exactly what to say because I was a new bride, etc. And right at the airport. And it was just such a um, traumatic experience, actually. But in that time, as we were waiting in one of the rooms, in the third room, actually, the third time we had been, were about to be grilled, uh, the Lord just said, gave me the story of, Moses leaving Egypt and he just uh, actually spoke to me through that word let my people go and so some faith rose in me and I said he's going to let me go and right away uh, the last officer said um, he was asking me you know uh, why did you come here and all that and his superior from his office said let that lady go mm. and so the officer who was grilling me I happen to remember all their names. I'm not going to share them, but I happen to remember <laughs> all their names. And immediately that last officer said, okay, you're free to go. And so that's how I got out of Los Angeles. So that was just the beginning. Um, very quickly, within a week, I found myself in a situation of domestic violence. And that is a story unto itself. It was uh, extremely difficult. But at every point, Mabel, you're a woman of faith. So you know how the Lord just steps in and provides for us. And at every step, 
he provided what I needed. Uh, and one of those, of course, is another thing we have in common, and that is Hope Chapel. Yeah, yeah. And so, but before we go there, I had a question about, you know, I, I can't even imagine what you may have gone through at that time. Because I came to the US after getting married and because of my husband's job. And so for the longest time, he was the only person I knew here. And a lot of um, immigrant women come with their husbands because of their husband's jobs as dependents. Um, and there is that inherent trust, right, that we put in our husbands that we're going to a new country, but my husband's going to be there. He's going to take care of me. And we are or we think that together we are going to um, get through this and set up a new home and things like that. So I can't imagine what it would have felt like to have that trust betrayed and to somehow, um, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm, I was wondering uh, what, what you were feeling or what was your experience emotionally uh, because you may have felt all alone. I did actually, and I didn't. Um, uh, of course, it's almost 25 years ago. But as I've been thinking about the whole experience while preparing for this interview, uh, yes, I don't want to minimize that it was extremely difficult. I felt alone. I felt shaken. I felt afraid. Um, I've you know, there's a title of a movie, Sleeping with the Enemy, and I literally at times felt that I was literally sleeping with the enemy. It was extremely, extremely difficult. But right from that first week, um, we were supposed to have a wedding reception, and his parents said, pick a place, we will pay for it. You just have a wedding reception because you haven't had one here, because we were married in India. And so uh, my ex-husband knew Rolling Hills Covenant Church. So we went there um, just to get an idea of the place. And uh, I still remember we were waiting in the courtyard. We were just standing and looking at all those buildings. And he asked me, well, where should we go? And it was kind of an odd question because he had grown up here. He had attended that church. So, you know, one would think that he'd be the one. But he asked me, but I felt something rise and I said, let's use that door and as soon as we walked into that door we saw this lady that we had known in youth with a mission hawaii she had since moved to los angeles and she had got a job at rolling hills covenant church and so that was a confirmation and that was just one of many confirmations that the lord was going to be with me mm -hmm. uh, no matter what happened um and she ended up being a good friend uh, to me. And I actually even ended up staying with her for a brief while, just while I was in transition, looking for the next place to stay. So the Lord has always provided um, and he was always there with me. And he spoke to me very much in those early years. I can't minimize how difficult it was. It was very difficult, but the Lord has always been with me. Mm. But you felt his his help and his presence and his guidance. Exactly. Yes. And uh, you mentioned Hope Chapel. And <laughs> I was so happy <laughs> to hear that because we when we lived in L.A., we, uh, you know, were members of that um, church community for at least five years. And we loved that church. So how did you uh, find Hope Chapel or, and what role did they play uh, in your life during that time? 
Oh my, they played a huge role. So how we found them was, again, my ex-husband had been to Hope Chapel. And while we were looking for churches, um, when we went to Hope Chapel, I just felt something. Yes, this is the place of all the churches we have been to. This is the place we need to stay. So uh, we started attending. And then, unfortunately, there was an episode of domestic violence that... Uh, got so bad that I actually had to leave the house. And there was this um, lady from YWAM who was also living in Hamosa Beach. And uh, a friend somehow got in touch with her. She ha- We have a mutual friend. So that friend got in touch with her and she came and picked me up. I still remember it was at that Norm's restaurant opposite the Rolling Hills uh, Plaza. I was just sitting there and waiting for her. And... Um, she came and picked me up and I stayed with her uh, near Hope Chapel. And so when I told her about, you know, my situation, she said, well, Hope Chapel is right up the street. Why don't you go there? I said, oh, I didn't realize. So it was literally, literally like two or three blocks away. And so I walked to Hope Chapel that Saturday. And as I walked up the steps, uh, Pastor Dale Turner was the pastor on duty. They used to call it the pod, right? The pastor on duty. And he was pastor on duty and um, I shared a bit of my situation and uh, he began to counsel me. And then he said, uh, well, we must have a counseling session with your uh, husband. Mm. So that's how it got arranged. And um, uh, Pastor Dale Turner actually was the one who offered me my first job in Los Angeles some months later. Wow. (laughs) Small world. Small Um, world. Yeah. Yeah. So how how did it go from there on with the counseling? Did it help or uh, did um, your situation with domestic violence, did it get better or worse? Um, take us through that. No, actually, it got worse because my ex-husband, uh, he's not Indian, but he comes from a culture where uh, such things are very shameful. Um, you know, the fact that I had even gone to church and reached out for help, that was a matter of shame. Mm. And it got worse. But in the meantime, Hope Chapel had already uh, put us in a small group. And my ex-husband was only willing to go to that small group because uh, the the people in whose house it was, their daughter was a classmate of his So at school. So that's why he was willing to go. But the leaders of that group, uh, the two of them were actually extremely spirit-filled, strong believers. And one day when the husband was praying for my situation, uh, the Lord just revealed to him, I don't know how, but that I was in domestic violence. So his wife called me and she just, she was a very sweet lady and she just started talking very sweetly. I didn't know what was coming. And then finally she said, "Um, I want to ask you something and I hope you'll be, you know, let me know honestly, are you in domestic violence? And I began to cry. And so they turned out to be a real help to me, my small group. And uh, I had no idea what a restraining order was or anything. I'd never been inside a police station or a courthouse in my life. And I suddenly found myself, you know, um, having to go to the police to get a restraining order and then having to go to a courthouse. And uh, I do also want to mention that I had uh, friends from Youth with a Mission who were living in um, 
Ventura County. And so I ended up staying with them for a while. We got the restraining order and I stayed with them. But when I came back, um, uh, friends, Indian friends of mine in Virginia invited me for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And they were saying, you know, you decide what you want to, uh, what the Lord is leading you to do. And I still remember the husband saying, you know, marriage is not to be entered into lightly and nor is it to be exited lightly. So you have to now be very um, clear about what the Lord is leading you to do. So I said, well, the Lord is leading me to return to Los Angeles and to continue the, to begin the counseling that has been ordered by the court. So he says, all right. And they prayed and let me go. And uh, that's when I stayed with this lady from YWAM, whom we had met at Rolling Hills Covenant Church, started the counseling. And one time when I knew that, you know, there has really been no change in this person, that night I uh, went to bed with this prayer. I said, Lord, so far I have not been willing to return to India as a person with a failed marriage behind me. And that too, not just a person, but a woman with a failed marriage. Mm. Um, but if you that's if that's what you want, I'm willing. And I truly, truly said it from my heart. I went off to sleep. Next morning, the lady I was staying with, by this time I had already moved out of the YWAM lady's house to a place close uh, closer to uh, Hope Chapel and that the hostess said Sharon Dale Turner is on the line I said oh okay uh, and I had a, a phone at, in my room I think uh, uh, I didn't have a cell phone yet but I had a landline so I said oh could you give him this number and so I spoke to Dale Turner and he said I have a job in my department are you interested I said, oh, what job would it be? Because, you know, I, it could be anything. And I, I didn't know much about churches in America. So he says, it's in the uh, communications department. Uh, are you interested? I said, I'm very interested. And so he put me uh, on the phone with uh, Joe Gill, who became my uh, supervisor. And he was just amazing, both uh, Dale and Joe. They were like an older brother and a younger brother to me. And they brought so much healing. So I got the job. And he taught me everything I knew about graphics. I was actually very apprehensive. But Joe said, actually, most of it is um, collecting information and writing it out in the bulletin. So I said, oh, that I can do. And there were a few special events. Um, so, so was that job like one of the signs for you that God was going to keep you in America? Uh, at least keep me in Los Angeles for that time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because of the because of the timing of it, you know, it didn't just randomly happen. Happen. I was yeah. truly, truly. I yielded my heart, and I said, even if I have to go back as a woman with a failed marriage, I am willing. And then he provided this job, and that's amazing. You know what? Um, also, God's people can do um, what a good community can do to an individual who's suffering or who's or even an immigrant who who finds himself or herself uh, alone or in a situation that's um that's not safe um the church can come alongside um someone like that and completely change the trajectory of their lives uh, and and so your your story is a witness to to that to the power of a good church community um, and also at the same time, I think you bring up an important point about the taboo that many cultures have around um, marriage counseling and other things like that, or even going to a small group to discuss marriage. Many cultures don't do that, but that's 
important as well. Uh, thank you for sharing. I know that was a painful period of your uh, past, of your life, uh, but I'm sure uh, a lot of listeners um, listening are, may have gone through a similar situation or are going through that right now. And uh, you sharing your story will help them, um, you know, find find a way or or ask God. They will probably know how to ask God for help. Yes, that's right. That is my desire. I'm not sharing it to share just a story and what happened to me personally. But um, I certainly hope that my story will bring hope and encouragement to someone who is going through something similar. And I do want to say one thing, you know, that was almost 25 years ago. I think even in India, things have changed. I've, mm. I'm noticing them change. So people are a little more open to uh, marriage counseling. Um but yeah. but my uh, but the thing is the lesson that I try to tell people that I try to teach people out of all this apart from trusting the Lord is be very wise in who you marry you know make sure mm. you marry a person who is truly genuinely a believer and with whom you are truly compatible you see my yeah. ex husband and I did not have very much in common mm. so you must have interests in common. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And pray about it, like fast and pray and seek um, advice from other, uh, you know, your your mentors in your church community or elsewhere. And, and thank you for mentioning that, like make, make it a, a wise and a well thought out, a prayerful um, decision. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely important. Um so I'm wondering, Sharon, if going through all of that, like in looking back, like did you ever have questions for God? Uh, like why did you let this happen to me or things like that? Or did you ever wonder, you know, why did you have to go through that? Because yes, you um, had thought it was, you know, a God-sanctioned marriage and things like that. Yes, I certainly did think it was a God-sanctioned marriage. But the Lord started revealing to me that I was... Um, putting two and two together and coming up with five. I thought it was four, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I would just um, uh, be studying the Bible and something that this person had emailed to me um, uh, was exactly the same. And I, I said, oh, that's a sign. That's a sign. So there was an immaturity in my ability to hear the voice of the Lord. And that has turned out to be one of my big teachings, one of the areas I love to teach people is because a lot of our hearing the voice of the Lord can be because of uh, bad pizza we ate or because of, <laughs> we are putting two and two together. So we have to, it's not a light manner, you know, to hear mm. the voice of the Lord is not a simple thing. It's ultimately it can be, uh, I can summarize in one word and that is relationship. Relationship with the Lord is is actually what we need to be able to truly discern the voice of the Lord. It's not yeah. just, oh, help me, God, and let me open the scripture and see what I get. Sometimes the Lord will speak to that, but it's always in the context of a relationship of faith and obedience. Yeah, that uh, you said that so well. Um, and, you know, we do make mistakes in discerning God's will, right? That we're just human and... Um, not just discerning his will. Sometimes we on our own even make decisions that take us down a wrong path. But God is so gracious and kind that even through those mistakes, um, you know, his His plan, his purposes for us are not thwarted. And um, he 
he has a purpose and we can see that clearly that when we walk through those times and which we think as a mistake but he still has a way of redeeming our story for his purpose exactly exactly and i i'm really glad you used the word thwarted because when i was writing my translation of job you know when job realizes when the lord reveals himself to job and job finally says you know my ears have heard of you but now my eyes have seen and when i was writing that bit i used the word thwart and uh, if i can find it in my book um, i can read it uh, read that sure we'd love that yes so it is the final chapter in in the uh, in part 7 and then there's an epilogue but the chapter is job's restoration job 42 then job thus did answer the lord you can do everything and no word or purpose of yours not even by force can anyone hinder or thwart i said what i didn't understand things that were for me very grand yet i humbly ask sorry yet i ask you humbly please listen to me for your words do an answer demand so basically job realizes that no purpose or plan of God's can be thwarted you know the lord when the lord allowed job to suffer he had an end in mind he had job's restoration and the uh, double god blessed him double for his trouble he had that when satan appears before god in the prologue of job and in fact as i was studying this book i uh, realized something i've never seen before and that is god himself made the first move god said have you been considering job my servant you know satan didn't mm-hmm. dare speak to god before god spoke to him you know the king of the universe uh, nobody can just show up even an earthly king nobody speaks before the king speaks so how much more the king of kings and lord of lords so even that god had that end in mind and when job finally sees it he says that no plan or purpose of yours can anyone thwart in any way and that is my story mm, beautiful well now you've made me so curious about this book of yours i have to read it <laughs> uh, I would encourage viewers, you know, to go check out Sharon's book. It's called "There Was There Once Was a Man Who Suffered: The Book of Job in Limericks." Now, um, Sharon, going back to your writing, uh, and you're releasing a book in a few days on December eighth. Your tenth um, anniversary edition of Pioneer Boulevard is coming up. So, tell us about this book. First of all, the title it it brings back <laughs> so many memories because. it's a street uh in southern california in la right where it's a predominantly indian area and i remember going there to eat indian food or get some groceries or do some indian shopping um so what how what inspired you to write this book and uh what's special about the 10th edition well first god bless whoever named that street pioneer boulevard i mean they could <laughs> <laughs> they could have named it any other name but for me for me it gives me that metaphor so actually mm-hmm. um just to go uh, back a little if i may sure. in 2000 in 2004 uh, just as i had started the process of my uh, becoming a us citizen 
I got this job at a Christian publishing company called William Carey Library Publishers. They used to publish books which were only about missions. And so one day, as I remember, uh, I was very new there and I was sort of organizing the office according to how I wanted it. And I saw this little manuscript that completely captivated me because many of the books were more academic, you know, in nature. But there was this book that was titled A Missionary Pilgrimage in Central Asia. And it had a little, very whimsical little, little design of a caravan. And so I picked it up and I said, oh, my goodness, this book needs to see the light of day because it was actually almost at the bottom of the pile. Mm. And we were going to have a, a, an editorial board meeting and Dr. Ralph Winter had actually started the uh, publishing company and he used to attend. And, you know, it was my first editorial board meeting. I didn't know better. I didn't know I had to be like very cool and quiet and not say a word. But when he asked which new manuscripts we have we received and I said, well, this is not a new manuscript, but I've been reading it and I absolutely feel it has to be published. And so they, the editorial board said, yeah, yeah, we had we had discussed it and all that. I don't know, da, da, da. But I was so, um, you know, in love with that manuscript. So, but, but when I started reading it, it was basically a collection of stories of uh, this author, Jean Daniels. That's a pseudonym that he has used. Um, and it was just a collection of stories of his time in Central Asia. And he was still living there at the time. Well, when I was reading that, I realized, you know, hey, I should write a collection of stories set in the Indian community of Los Angeles. <laughs> um, and so that sparked the idea. Now, mm. the following year, 2005, I became a U.S. citizen on uh, April 29, 2005. That was my parents' wedding anniversary. And it was my goddaughter, Alita Sharon's birthday as well. So it was a very momentous day for me um, and a very, very happy day. And right after that, I started thinking about this, you know, collection of short stories collection. And so I wrote a short story. I said, well, not I shouldn't just think about it. I should actually write it. So it begins in Los Angeles, but somehow it ends, ends up being a, a childhood story in India. So I said, oh, no, that's not going to do it. So anyway, the long and the short of it uh, is that it actually inspired me to go to the Iowa Summer Writing Festival in 2006 in Iowa City. It's held uh, by the University of Iowa. And there, as they were forcing us to, you know, come up with ideas and all that in the fiction courses, I came up with this idea that actually I had been thinking about this particular story for a while. And so I wrote the first paragraph and nothing happened about it. But, you know, the Lord has this way, as we were discussing, of bringing things back to us in his time. So in 2010, when I uh, my application to Oxford was rejected. I was going to study Victorian literature there. And my pastor at that time, a very, very prophetic man said, you know, if I were you, I would keep applying. I would see where the Lord may have, you know, maybe it's not this. God has something better. And then I found this course in creative writing at uh, Kiel University. Uh, Kiel is a small uh, sort of a village rural campus uh, near Manchester. And so I applied and they said, oh, submit us, submit a story so we can send it to the tutor. And so then I sent that original story that I had written about that ended up being in Los Angeles. 
and uh, I got it. I got accepted in that course. But before I got my uh, acceptance letter, as I was praying one day, the Lord just sort of impressed on me. Well, if you are going to enroll in the fiction um, uh, track, you should be writing fiction. So then I pulled out this story that I had started at the Iowa Summer Writing Festival. And I sat and I diligently wrote it down. And that turned out to be uh, Crocodile Tears. And so far, in these 10 years of Pioneer Boulevard's life, it so happens that that has turned out to be the um, story readers connect with most. I like that story. It's not my favorite story, but readers have somehow (laughs) connected with it. Wow. So are these stories all based on the immigrant experience? Yes, it's fictional. Um, And of course, I couldn't have been able to write fiction if I hadn't experienced it myself, right? So (laughs) uh, I was sort of drawing from my immigrant experience, you know, just just things that one feels the loss of home. There is even one story, the only story I actually wrote in first person is about loss of language, because, you know, Mm. you and I grew up in the British system. And so there were many things that we said the British way that Americans didn't understand or they would laugh at. And so uh, that particular story is really about a loss of language. And um, I was able to evoke some of my own emotions and put it in that story. But there are stories about There is a top layer of a story, as you know, as a writer, there is a top layer which is saying this happened and then this happened and this is what happened. But then there's an undercurrent that is below the main story, which is the theme of a loss of home or um, crocodile tears is actually a loss of a friend. Mm. And um, there's uh, my favorite story, if I may say so. Uh, I've already written about it, so people know it's not a secret. But my favorite story is the title story. And it is set during Diwali. And uh, this Indian lady, she's from Chennai. And she has a tali that she has to sell because it's the recession and they need the money. And she goes to Pioneer Boulevard to this jeweler. And he's a Gujarati guy. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually, he's one of my favorite characters. I gave him a little bit of myself. I sort of, you know, made made him uh, like uh, Boondi Laddus, which is my favorite Indian sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so I threw a little bit of myself here and there. But yeah, it's, it's fictional. Uh, but it's about the immigrant experience. The only thing is that they're not like new immigrants so i'm not i have mm. not spoken about oh they didn't know how to fix the light or they don't know how to which of course was my issue <laughs> to this day 25 <laughs> years later i still sometimes get confused about the light switch i don't know if that's your experience but you know in india you turn <laughs> it the opposite way opposite way yeah yes so i didn't talk about those things but um so my characters have lived in Los Angeles, Southern California for a while, and they happen to be in a situation. And that sort of brings out in them what it means to be a pioneer. But interestingly, Mm. the only person I actually call a pioneer is a white all-American guy. Because for me, being a pioneer is not being an immigrant. Uh, One of the taglines of the book was there are immigrants and then there are pioneers. So anybody can be a pioneer Mm. if they do something they have never done before. Mm. Yeah. And this this American guy, he is in a discussion with his uh, 
wife. It's actually, I believe, my most uh, uh, important story because it deals with the issue of life and a woman who has an unplanned third pregnancy and she's she won't abort the baby because she believes in the sanctity of life as I do. And so it's my most important story, but uh, there's a discussion where she and her husband are, you know, talking about this pregnancy. And the guy does something he has never done before. He always had this mask of the nice guy, you know, be cool, don't ruffle the uh, feathers, don't upset the boat yeah. or whatever. But I'm mixing my metaphors here, but whatever, you know, don't rock the boat. Yes, don't rock the boat, don't ruffle feathers. <laughs> and so he, he's always wanted to be a nice guy. But at this point, he he is able to speak to his wife with, um, you know, with a certain authority and he expresses his desire. Mm. Uh, uh, he would have to liked keep to the child? consult. No, not to, no, that's not the issue, but what the... Uh, what the mother wants to do, Got it. Uh, you know, so he mm. would have liked to have been asked and he says it. And there's a line that I say, it made a pioneer of him. Mm. And so that is the only time actually I call anybody a pioneer in this book. So that's just a little side little thing about my book and about and the 10th anniversary. Sorry. No, go ahead. That's what question I was going to ask you about the 10th anniversary edition, which is going to come out on December 8th. Yes, yes. So I'm very excited about the 10th anniversary edition because I have included a Q&A section at the end of the book. Um, when I started uh, doing my author talks three weeks after my book launch in um, July uh, 2013, I was holding an author talk at the Pasadena Central Library, which was the first of many author talks all over Southern California. Um, I my pastor said, you must make a list of the questions you're asked, because the questions that people ask you show you what they want to know. You know, you can come mm. up and say something that you want to share about it. But when people ask a question, that shows what they're interested in. So I would make a note of all the questions. And um, when I was thinking of this 10th anniversary edition, I picked th about 30 of the questions that I got mostly during author talks, but some people have also asked me personally, just as we were chatting, they'd say, so why did you da da da, uh, or what's so important about this or whatever. So um, I've compiled them and I have written, uh, included it at the end. Uh, there are questions about the book itself. Uh, you know, uh, how did you decide to write the book and um, uh, questions about the book. Then there are also questions about a little bit about immigrant experience that I've thrown in there and also writing skills, you know, because mm. I love coaching writers. I've been an editor and I love coaching writers. So I threw those in. So, uh, Sharon, when this book launches on December 8th, how can uh, listeners get a copy of it? Can we go on Amazon and uh, buy it? Yes, it will be available on Amazon. Oh. And uh, as you mentioned, my website, SharonArpana.com, it is uh, all my updates are there. And um, so they will be able to buy it on that day. Wonderful. And I do want to say why I picked that date. And that is because it was the day I had my absolute favorite relationship gifted to me. And the relationship that I like, the role that I like best is being an aunt. And that was the day my first nephew was born. 
and uh interestingly because you know the lord knows how much i love dates and special significant dates that was the day 18 years later that my dad went home to be with the lord mm. so it's a very special day for our family and um so that's why i picked that date even though actually the book was launched in june but the relaunch is on a special day which is december 8th yes that's correct and i'll be thinking about you sharon on that day and praying for you um i know that you know memories of your father will be uh, strong and alive and i hope you find comfort that day in god's presence and i hope that a lot of people buy your book find pleasure in reading it and that it also helps them if they're immigrants you know kind of find uh, solidarity with other characters in your book and even if they're not just for the pleasure of reading good stories uh and so thank you so much for um being on far from home and sharing your stories sharing your experience and your wisdom it was such an honor and blessing for us to um have you as a guest thank you mabel and i wish you and far from home all the very best and may many many people find your podcast and be blessed by it thank you thank you for joining us today on far from home a podcast that encourages biblical perspectives on immigration and inspires faith in action. I'm your host Mabel Nainen. I would like to invite you to join our private Facebook group Far From Home Podcast, a place where you can share your thoughts and comments. I also share extra scenes and behind the scenes snippets on this Facebook group. I can't wait to meet you there and listen to what you have to say. If you want to know more about Far From Home or about me, go to mabelnainan.com. Some episodes of this podcast are available in video format on my YouTube channel Mabel Nainan. Be sure to check that out if you're interested in watching the interesting conversations I have with the guests on this podcast. Thanks again for listening and I'm so glad you joined us today. Until next time. Goodbye.